Hello and welcome to the latest thrilling installment of Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars podcast worth a rip. The only one that's actually digging into the good stuff. That's right, the classic stuff. The Timothy Zahn stuff. I am your co-host, Dr. Daniel Dottie. With me as always, the disgraced Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I think I might be getting a cold, but other than that, I'm pretty good. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what I hear is good for that is eating a turkey sandwich. Have you done that? Yes. All right, good. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we talk about off the air, what I've had to eat for dinner. I did. I was asking Ronnie what he had for dinner. Um, well, I hope all the protein in the turkey sandwich helps. Also, the essential vitamins. Hey, hey I, have, the, I, have uh, a, I have a joke for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, what does uh, Barack Obama have for dinner? <laughs> what? Fido. <laughs> okay. So so you're regressing. We've moved from 2016 uh, uh, references to 2008 references uh, of, of the various uh, racist attacks on the, the, the Obama campaign regarding dog eating. Is I, I, will, I will correct you that Obama eats dogs became an issue in 2012, oh. not 2008. Well, that's kind of the dog election. It was in response to uh, Mitt Romney uh, strapping the dog to the to the top of his car. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. And also, and then conservatives um, responded, "Well, yeah, he may mistreat dogs, but at least he doesn't eat them like Barack Obama does." Yeah, I think that was also the uh, the Huckabee campaign got some flack when it came out that uh, a couple of his large sons had murdered a dog at one point. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, 2012, hell of an election. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about The Last Command, uh, the third novel in Timothy Zahn's magisterial Thrawn trilogy, the, the gold standard of Star Wars fiction. Um and uh, we are now, we're, well, we're really into it. We're about, what, uh, we're past the one-third of the way mark. Almost halfway. Yeah, we're like we're like 48% of the way through the book. Oh, man. Uh, so, I mean, and it has been, of course, very exciting. A, a An emotional roller coaster for me and Ronnie so far with uh, certain, certain uh, reactions we've had to choices Timothy has made. Um but you know, I, I th- this 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 section wasn't so bad. I I had I had some fun with this one. We uh, some some steps were taken. So if uh, I don't know, we might as well just get into it. Really, if if yeah. you're a fan of stupid names, uh, strap yourself in. <laughs> even even better than last time. We thought we were eating good with all the stupid planet names last time. We have a bevy of stupid smuggler names this time. This and, is like uh, the game master Anthony post about like all of. Everybody from <laughs> from fiction comes in with all the gifts for a huge party, except it's everyone with a stupid name, uh, including yes. some old favorites uh, who will characters will meet... that I would not have thought would be in the third book. <laughs> well, that just goes to show just how clever and subtle a writer Timothy Zahn is. In particular, a character <laughs> that we used to like, you know reference to each other just because of how stupid and inconsequential he was yeah yet, well, egg, egg, here egg he is. Faces. yeah here he is he's back and you know more of the fool us so let's dive into the recap uh and uh we'll, we'll see where we'll see where uh ronnie 
and uh, and uh, Daniel get to eat crow about someone being inconsequential. We're at chapter ten, uh, and we join a the the conclave of smugglers that Card has called, uh, assisted of course by Samuel Tomas Gillespie, uh, another of a, another fan favorite, and by fan favorite I mean favorite of myself and Ronnie. Um, but we're at the Whistler's Whirlpool Tap Cafe. Yeah, there's like an entire paragraph dedicated to like Zod giving these designers shit for their garbage (laughs) uh, cafe. So yeah, he spends he spends like yeah, like looks like two paragraphs in my edition, um, describing that this was a a bar, which I guess is what a tap cafe is, even though we've used the word bar before, um, on uh, this planet Trogan. It's on the coast of one of Trogan's most densely populated continents, and it's like built around a natural feature in the coastline where the waves have eroded a a bowl-shaped pit that fills from the bottom with seawater uh, six times a day, and then forms a little maelstrom in the uh, in the bowl. So the so the tables and chairs are arranged in concentric circles, not unlike Dante's Hell. Um, around this uh this natural wonder and i, I uh, daniel do... daniel brought up uh, dante's hell that's not in the text so no, those of no. you wondering dante <laughs> did not uh create uh hell in the star wars universe i just no, wanted that to, was... to make that i that was a that was a uh, flourish that daniel uh did not discuss ahead of time <laughs> it's just one of my many very superficial uh, references I can make to appear cultured. Um, yeah, you're that I, library I, man. Well, I have read the Divine Comedy in its entirety, uh, so I can I can do deeper points. How funny is it? It's a laugh riot. I thought it was hilarious when he finally uh, meets the center of creation and and is bathed in the glory of a god at the very end. I was I was how how, how is it compared to Hassan Minaj? Uh, well, they're both totally made up. But I thought Dante's actually had a punchline and was funnier. But uh, so I, I do like that, like, Timothy really lays into the, I guess, investors, the backers uh, who uh, invested in this place. Um, so it, it seemed a perfect drawing card for the billions of humans and aliens enamored of that combination of luxury and spectacular natural drama. Unfortunately, they'd rather overlooked three points. First, that such a place was almost by definition a tourist attraction, dependent on the vagaries of that market. Second, that once the charm of the whirlpool itself wore off, the centralized design pretty well precluded remodeling the place for any other type of entertainment. And third, that even if such remodeling had occurred, the racket from the mini from the miniature breakers in the drinking cup would probably have drowned it out anyway. This is... Timothy Zahn spends two paragraphs to describe an abandoned bar on a planet and why it makes a great place for a bunch of smugglers to meet. And I got to admire that. I, his choices of where to describe things, <laughs> they, they, they baffle to this he, day. He has a beautiful mind, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Card and Aves are there. They got there a couple hours before the meeting. They're, they're getting there a little early to kind of scope the place out. And set up a little insurance, um, which we'll discover later. But they are greeted by Samuel Tomas Gillespie. Um, and Gillespie hands card a data pad with the list of attendees. And this is, of course, where we get some very stupid names. Um, Brask, 
Parta. Please, please let let me let me. Oh, please, please, yeah. Okay, so let, let's not uh, let's not step on the fact that we just got reintroduced to Samuel Thomas Gillespie. <laughs> yes, the character <laughs> the character least deserving of three names has them. Uh, but anyway, we also got Brask, Parta, Elor, and uh, returning favorite Dravis. Airhorn, Airhorn. Airhorns, Dravis. Oh. Billy. The inspiration for the the inspiration for the uh the title the what we chose for the title of our very first recap episode. Okay, so we also got Billy and not the way you expect it to be spelled. Because that would be too easy. Uh Mazik. Uh Klein Gun the Zahethbra. And mm-hmm. Farrier. Niles Farrier, the spaceship mm-hmm. thief? Yes, that's him. He does smuggling, too. <laughs> he does smuggling, too. But he also works for the Empire, card counted. Uh, so do we, Gillespie shrugged. And last I heard, so did you. So that that's going to come up a lot in, in this, whole, this whole scene. Um, uh, card kind of expands on what Farrier has been doing working for the Empire, which has specifically been working for Thrawn directly, and he was instrumental in kidnapping the old his old captain to get him to spill the beans on where to find the Dark Force and get all those all those dreadnoughts. Um, so Gillespie was kind of a little chastened by that. Farrier did that? Um, furthermore, uh, he, he calls in with... Uh, Card calls into some of his guys who are monitoring the local Imperial garrison some kilometers away. Uh, Lacton reports that there has been no movement in or out of the garrison for three hours. Completely dead. This strikes everyone as a bit odd. But eventually all the attendees arrive. It's a a motley sort, which I I think is serving as this novel's version of the cantina scene. And and I, I, I do want to... I think this is something that Zahn is working in uh, intentionally, just like he always opens like every one of his books with a Star Destroyer because that's how every movie starts. Every movie has a, a bunch of crazy critters scene in it. We have the Cantina in Star Wars. We have the uh, the, the motley assortment of bounty hunters. I, I and... do appreciate how long it takes me in this book for me to realize uh, certain characters are monster faces or not. Yeah. Because, uh, like... He'll be he'll be like having a scene with Brask, and then suddenly they'll mention, uh, you know, pitted gray green skin of his face, and it's like I'm thinking, oh yeah, he's probably not human, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, visible outside his body armor. It's okay. Um, and then we've also got a, a snake-like head uh, appendages bounce gently from uh, Parta, and she yes. also like speaks in brackets. For some reason, she she speaks in the Sing Song Hodin language, which not only is it in brackets, but uh, Zahn has also helpfully added uh, extra vowels. Um, and I think okay, here's here's how this is spelled out. Okay, She's like a so, reverse Welsh. <laughs> I was gonna say like a reverse Russian, because um, it has uh, the the sentence "and for victims of kidnap," and this is spelled. Victims is spelled V-I-Y-C-T-I-Y-M-S, and kidnap is K-I-Y-D-N-A-P. So if you've ever, like, spoken with someone with, like, a Russian accent or East Slavic accent, the, the, the way that they, 
they kind of punctuate vowels by adding what we would consider like a Y sound. Like I had a, a patient at the library who was very sweet uh, and would call me Daniel. Daniel. It's like she would do it like that, right? But it's like backwards. She was just being y. condescending. <laughs> she was just playing it up for me. Yeah. Um, she knows I'm, I'm wound. Let me easily. pull over this rube. <laughs> but yeah, I so I just sort of read that as that kind of East Slavic kind of slant on the vowels. Uh, but I have no idea how this was supposed to actually be sounded in one's head. Um, well, considering choice. it's a sing-song language, we have to assume that it's pretty fucking annoying. I guess the sing-song does lend support to your Welsh theory. So perhaps this is a uh, a, a Celtic language-speaking uh, Medusa lady from outer space. Um. <laughs> Picard is pitching all of these smugglers on throwing in with the New Republic to get them some information about the clone pipeline. Uh, so, but none of them are really biting. Which again raises the question of how exactly this all works. Because presumably, if you're a smuggler, you're you're breaking the laws of the Empire, right? That's what smuggling is. If you're just carting stuff around and doing it legally, that's not smuggling. That's just being a freighter. So, they're breaking the laws of the Empire... But they're also worried about antagonizing the Empire, which I thought you were already doing. And more of what like is how, all this? I like Sorry, how please. you like. I, I like how you uh, like figure out like uh, fundamental plot problems. Whereas my notes consist of Klingarn, uh M dash shaggy black and white striped mane M dash <laughs> zebra man question mark. <laughs> Well, it's our two approaches. We're like a we're like a a rock star detective team. Between our two approaches, we'll finally figure out what the fuck is going on in all this. But is Klingarn a zebra man? I think I I need to know this. Well, now wait a minute. Let's go back in what the Hethbra? I mean, that's basically zebra. I was gonna with say a Z- in, inside Zhethbra. I think you're right. I think he has a. I think Klingun is a zebra man. Wow. Oh, man. New favorite eye, character, Ronnie. Zebra Man. New favorite is Zebra Man. Um, anyway, enough. Of, I, I, I've spent far too many brain cells trying to... But is, is it, like, internal smuggling? Because I, I don't... like. So, okay, so here's... Like, smuggling was a big deal in, uh, like, Napoleonic France, right? Because you had the continental system, and so they weren't supposed to be trading with England. But people would run smuggling operations back and forth to England to bring in, like, manufactured goods or, like, you know, avoid taxes or whatever, right? And there was also uh, special taxes at the borders of Paris, where if you were bringing, like, say, wine into the city, you had to pay, you know, extra taxes. So there was a lot of internal smuggling as well. So... Is this like the internal smuggling? Are there like planetary tariffs that they're getting around? Or is it, are they moving goods from either side of the Republic to the Empire controlled space? Like what is even being smuggled? Is it all drugs? Is it, is it human beings? Is it just stuff? No one ever tells me this. Spice? It's, I guess it's spice. It's, well, it's, it's the Kessel run. Every time. Everyone's doing the Kessel run all the time. I know. I, I, I've already spent too much time talking and thinking about it. It's it's time. It's time to move on. Um, yeah, I think dra- we, we we really could have spent more time on the zebra man conundrum. <laughs> we could have spent more time on the zebra man conundrum. Uh, your your latest spy thriller coming out, the zebra man conundrum. 
Um, I, I do have another note about uh, Clint Gunn, the Zebra Man, which is uh, in a, in the scene, uh, I think, next up, it says he's holding his arm gingerly. Now, do you want to you want hazard to <laughs> guess how many times gingerly is used in this book? Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to say... What do we got? I'm going to say eight times. Five times. Oh, Timothy. You're raining. Re- I know. I was, I was surprised, too. <laughs> That's really... Yeah, I guess he found a thesaurus or something. Or maybe Betsy took her red pen out for a few of them. Uh, well, I think my favorite is is uh, when when the truck easing is is uh, is is modified with gingerly. So it's not even a person doing this. It's a it's, it's a, a truck, truck being ginger. <laughs> Marvelous. Um, see, so yeah, Travis has a line. You know, and I don't. I, you know, everyone's like wary about stepping on the Empire's toes. Dravis has a slam how the Empire quote needs us too much to bother us, provided we don't take sides. End quote. Why do they need smugglers? What is the economy here? I don't understand any of this. <laughs> like what? But you know, you spend your time befuddled by that. I'm, uh, I'm just glad that the wraith is back. Hey, that's right. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and uh, yeah, we'll we'll kind of skip ahead to that because there's there's a bunch of jaw jawing about you know oh we can't. It's just jawing about like whether or not they should take a side, and it gets very right. boring and repetitive. The snakehead lady like, trying to trying to figure out who's a zebra man or not. <laughs> right, that's that's how you distract yourself. McCart and Gillespie pitched this as helping redress the balance of power, keeping the empire from becoming too powerful and capable of squashing them all. Niles Ferrier chimes in to explain that the Empire isn't going to just leave you alone if you don't throw in, and describes his experience saddled with a bomb-rigged freighter as evidence. Card never got that part of the story from when Han told him about what happened with Niles Ferrier. He had no idea about the, uh, you know, the whole setup with you have a you know three-month time span and then the the ship will blow up that Thrawn had for Farrier. It doesn't really move. None of this moves the needle though, and the meeting is about to wrap up with everyone deciding they're not going to go along with it when wham. A couple squads of Imperial Army guys and a couple Chariot Command speeders announce themselves and march in on Whistler's Whirlpool. Uh, but Farrier's Wraith Monster, or Shadow Chewy, as I like to call him, uh, kind of slips uh, out of the please shadows. Please use his proper name, Deffel. He's a Deffel. Deffel, right. the, Deffel the guy that uh, Han Solo set on fire. Yeah, yeah, so we know he, he survived. See, alcohol fires, not that hot. It's completely fine. Also, do you think that's supposed to mean devil? I I would love the idea of this wraith just being sur- just like surviving all sorts of cartoon deaths, <laughs> like Wiley e. Coyote. Yes, yes, it would be good. Uh, but it the ran, devil... ran off ran off a cliff, and then then it had a little sign that says "Uh oh" before yes. it fell. <laughs> well, he is it is mute so far, so I think he would need the little signs to communicate. Um, that that would be a great chapter, like twenty three. The wraith speaks. <laughs> we we would be hooting and hollering. I wonder what kind of stupid accent he gets. You know, we, we'd have to see. Uh, but It'll Farrier's... be like you know, is it stupid or is it racist? The everyone's <laughs> favorite Star Wars game. <laughs> Farrier's wraith monster, the Deffel. Uh, ambushes a couple of stormtroopers, which distracts the Imperials long enough for all the smugglers to start blasting, including a couple of heavy blaster rifles, 
firing from underneath the ledge of the bowl formation. It's over in seconds. All the Imperials are wiped out, but one Gotal as uh, the casualty on the smuggler's side, which bums Card out because he likes Gotals. What so... the fuck is a Gotal? <laughs> I don't know. Card is likes it the goat man? Did they I kill a only... goat man? I can only presume that the zebra man had a goat had goat men in his entourage. They came from the petting zoo. Wishma uh, the Godel. Actually, a so, zebra would not be good for a petting zoo. They are very aggressive animals. Uh, oh, uh, explain further, Ranger Rick. Well, I just mean they're 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 temperamental and 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 not friendly. Like they don't like being touched. So it would be bad. <laughs> it would be bad for a petting zoo. Is all I'm saying. Stick with the alpacas. Um, but uh, after all this, it turns so out. So uh, we just have to add Lishma the goat, the goatel to our list of. Named characters who have died in this series. Who have died. That's Chris right. Peterson and Lishma the Godel. <laughs> on the, there they are on the Wall of Honor. Uh. <laughs> I, I do love the line, he'd always rather like the Godel people. Like, just sub that in with any, like, race or ethnicity. He always liked <laughs> the Albanian people. He always liked the He always liked their, their pop princesses, like uh, Rita Ora or Dua Lipa. I like those Albanians. Um... <laughs> no, but it turns out the uh, the the heavy blaster rifles from uh, underneath the uh, the 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 whirlpool bowl thing were a couple of cards guys. They were strapped in on little harnesses down there. Aves and Fine uh, were down there firing away. So, but they they get they get up there. Everyone's kind of taking stock, uh, and the smugglers kind of make a break for the spaceport. You know, there's no there's no activity over at the Imperial Garrison. They think they can slip away. They get out in their spaceships. Uh, they're chattering away on the comms. Dravis is admitting that, hey, perhaps you know now it is time to throw in with the Republic. And then Niles also pledges his people to the task of digging up information on the clone pipeline. Uh, Parta and Mazik are in, but Brask, he's still hesitant. He says he won't interfere and he won't rat them out, though. And so everyone agrees to reconvene at Chazwa in five days. Card signs off as each smuggler ship makes its jump into hyperspace. And he talks over events with Aves, and this is all pretty boring, except for the fact that Card keeps thinking to himself, boy, this guy is just not as smart as Mara Jade. I really wish Mara was back. <laughs> Which is a fun way of for Zahn to demonstrate Card's, you know, affection for and, and appreciation of Mara Jade, just by shitting on Aves. I think... Uh... You know, when I'm, like, in my 80s and my mind has, like, fallen away from me, I'm, like, kind of like Joris Kabayoth. I won't remember, like, most of the foundational moments in my life, but I will remember the sentence, and, of course, the dead Godel. <laughs> That'll be what flashes across your eyes in your final moments. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be it'll that be just like those, It'll just be that, that, that of the Trump, uh, uh, tweet uh, washed up psycho bet midler <laughs> uh, for me it'll be uh, sissy graden carter <laughs> bad food restaurants bad food restaurants oh all right all right all right, all right yeah again enough of the 2016 stuff uh but we uh we now as everyone kind of kind of goes off on their way we cut to the chimera where niles farrier is being brought in to see thrawn by some stormtroopers but he's grinning as he is. He's brought in to report to Thrawn. 
Inferior is surprised that Thrawn is not at all pleased with what happened. Farrier set up the clumsy attack in order to gain Card's trust. The kind of the gamble was that it would be a you know a clumsy, stupid attack that the smugglers could, you know, easily repulse, but that that would set them all against the Empire and fall into Card's hands, including Farrier, so that then Card would trust him. But the thing is, this has set all the smugglers against the Imperials well before Thrawn was ready for that. In fact, Thrawn had given the local garrison orders to leave the meeting alone. Thrawn is about ready to have Rook strangle Farrier, but Farrier kind of grovels and asks for one last chance that with his newfound trust, he can bring them all in and just they can take them all out in one fell swoop. Now that he's on the inside with Card. Uh, Thrawn Niles, Niles Farrier reminds me of the, the Transformer Starscream, the one who always betrays everybody. It gets <laughs> to the point where like no one's going to trust you because your characterization is you always betray everybody. And that's basically Niles Farrier. That's <laughs> right. I don't think he's... He, he is double and triple crossing uh, his way across the galaxy, for sure. I also uh, wanted to note uh, in the, uh, the bad names uh, uh, update, as I'm calling this, we also got yeah. a Lieutenant Raynal Kosk, which sounds like a battery brand. <laughs> it does. That's in fact we should we should file for trademark with that. Uh, but uh, so Farrier Thrawn says that look, you're going to we're going to release to you an assault shuttle for you to deliver to Card to help you establish your credibility. So it's gonna be totally clean, no traps, no homing beacons, and then he is to wait. For any further instructions, we'll see if Farrier can sit on his hands like that. But uh, part of me, part of me doubts it. We'll see. He's always he's always looking for an angle. I he was I guy. was kind of wishing that he would have been killed off in this uh, in this uh, segment of the book, but alas, we have to deal with him some more. Yeah, <laughs> we must deal. We'll have to deal with Niles Farrier later, but not until uh, not for the rest of this uh, section, because now we're on chapter eleven. Uh, where we uh, are, are we, we caught up with Han jogging down the main quarter to catch up with a bulky man who was in a rotten oh, mood. Oh, I, I just want to uh, add to chapter 10, I just have oh, one yeah. more note, which is uh, it, just kind of a stray line, but it's Torv saying, what in the space was all that? And I love the idea of them <laughs> using space as a, as a word to describe where they are. <laughs> what in space? Right. <laughs> Instead of so, you know what in tarnation you say what in space. I'm I'm just uh, waiting for them to have like space beers or something like that. They're getting close, honestly. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I am. I would not be surprised if we if we get to that. Han sipping down some space beers. Um, but anyway, this this sour faced man that Han has just caught up with is Colonel Bremen, who uh, is uh, I, I guess in charge of palace security or something like that because. Han is trying to convince him to let Mara Jade out of house arrest. Uh, and the colonel is, in my opinion, rightly having none of it. Jade knew all about the secret passages in the building, uh, had been fingered as an Imperial agent by the one guy they managed to catch alive as the woman on, that was on the inside for the job. Uh, so she's going to get the third degree interrogation no matter what Han thinks. Uh, Something about reading back the phrase "the secret back door in the passages" made me realize the the emperor is running like a Scooby Doo mansion here. <laughs> I was gonna say it's almost like a uh, an elaborate treehouse, perhaps. But yeah, Scooby Scooby Doo mansion is also. It's like, what are we reading? What are we doing here? 
Yeah. Uh, Han's trying to like lay an eye vouch for her. Isn't that good enough? Or are you just mad at her for doing your job for you? Ooh, Brayman turned nearly as red as the Chala tree had. Because they're, they're walking Exactly past like that tree that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Brayman is really, he's, he's shutting it down. He's like, there's no, there's no way I'm going to release this woman before we have, before we get a, a firm idea of what's going on. Um, but, uh, you know, Han is kind of, you know, left dejected there in the hallway when a voice behind him says, you do have a way with people, don't you? It's Luke Skywalker. There he is. Um, Where were so you? Oh, I was in a bad subplot. Uh, no replaying. <laughs> you don't want to hear about it. Well, they pretty much did do that. It's just like, where where have you been? We expected you back two days ago. It's like, oh, well, I got held up at, uh, never mind. <laughs> I'll tell you later, he says. <laughs> uh, but uh, they, they jaw a little bit about the situation, about Luke feeling bad. He wasn't there to help. Uh, but uh, how Mara was and how she saved the day. And how Chewie is now on Leia and the babies like white on rice uh, since that attack. And Han mentions, okay, yeah, yeah, here we have a line. Uh, yeah, and it looks like she's going to stay there. Talking about Mara and house arrest, Han growled. At least till we can convince the bit pushers down in security that she's clear. I'm sorry. Timothy's on. You have already established button pushers as your stand-in for pencil pushers. I'm more fiction. disturbed by the fact that Chewie is sleeping outside their door every night. I mean, that really, like, that really, like, blurs the line between is he a person or is he a pet? <laughs> it, it is kind of a dog-like behavior. Because if I said uh, I was going to sleep outside your, your, your wife's bedroom, you'd say, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you in my house? <laughs> Well, maybe he's got like a cot or something. Like he's not, you know, he's not sleeping on the floor. Probably has I, I an hope. air mattress. <laughs> Sorry, space <laughs> hey, air mattress. There's nothing wrong with sleeping on an air mattress at some points in your life. Uh, anyway, yeah, like when you're in your twenties. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly when I did. All right, and I just want to make sure. like in his space forties, probably. That's a really good question. How old is Chewbacca? And like, what is what is the age range for Wookies? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about that, and I will not be finding out. Um, <laughs> but uh, as, we're going to be talking... reading, we're going to be reading like some old man Chewbacca comic book five years from now. <laughs> Finally, we we get we get to the the real story that we were all waiting for. Finally, um, he deals with arthritis. Sorry, space but, arthritis. Space arthritis. Thank you. Um, but Luke, Luke admits that Mara may have a hard time clearing herself here as she was a close personal agent of the Emperor. <laughs> Han uh, is a little taken aback and says some sarcastic things about being thrilled to hear it. Um, but just then, Luke suddenly feels a disturbance in the Force. Like someone is surprised and shocked. It's coming from Leia. Do you think we should run? said Han quietly. No, Luke said, but we can walk fast. And I had the hilarious image of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker power walking through the hallways. And I, I cherish that dearly. I got the mental image of Luke fingering a lightsaber. So think about that. <laughs> that is what it says. He was, Luke was fingering his lightsaber. Uh, um, but we go now to 
Leia, who has arrived at uh, Mara's house arrest digs, uh, Chewie had to wait outside like the dog he is, since it's only one guest at a time with these security measures. Uh, Leia lets Mara. Yeah, I'm starting that she to has... think. I'm starting to think Chewie's more of a Pluto than a Goofy. <laughs> He's shading into the Pluto territory on the sentience spectrum. I think you're right. Because uh, he, I think, he, well, yeah, he is a Pluto because he understands what everyone's saying, but can't speak their language. But so that's that's Pluto. So status. does that? But how Solo can understand Wookie, but he doesn't speak Wookie. Well, Mickey Mouse can understand Pluto. So, I guess it would be you know. culturally appropriative if he would start doing like a Wookiee accent and. and stuff it's like probably that. not. It's probably not a good look. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like when but, uh, Adrian Brody did that Rasta voice on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> just, just bad idea for all involved. Or when Bradley Cooper did that prosthetic nose for the uh, <laughs> Bernstein movie. <laughs> yeah, because Star Wars is is. Star Wars does not know, uh, has no history of uh, putting in big-nosed uh, stereotypes. Right, uh, chiseling, cheating merchants or anything like that. Yeah. Um, well, Le- Leia lets Mara know that she has a meeting with Mon Mothma and Akbar in a little while, and she's going to try to get her released, but they'll likely keep her until the security checks are finished. Um and then Leia thanks Mara, mentioning that if it wasn't for her, the twins would be in the hands of Master Kabeoth now, which makes Mara's jaw clench. Mara I mean, says, that's just uh, that's just funny. The idea of like a, a thank you for saving saving my uh, twin children from an old man. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank an you old for man saving, in a stinky bathrobe. Thank you for saving my twin children from a totally jacked, uh, demented old man with a big medallion. Yeah. He looks like uh, J.K. Simmons when he got all buff for that uh, Santa Claus movie. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Mara says, like, ah, you know, leave it. Don't worry about it. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to kill your brother. Uh, Leia again says, you know, nah, you don't want to do that. And that turns into this It's becoming like, the more times you say it, the less I believe you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the fact that she volunteers it all the time to Leia, saying, like, hey, I'm going to kill your brother. Um Say the line, Mara. (laughs) This turns into a conversation about how Mara was uh, recruited. And Mara can't really remember. Has only the hazy memories of her parents. This is pretty good. I don't know. I remember the first time I met the Emperor and the ride here at his private ship. I don't have any memories of where I started from. Do you remember how old you were? Mara shook her head. Not really. I was old enough to talk to him. And that's a pretty grim uh, sentence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially since she ended up being kind of the arm candy in the palace. Oh, I don't like any of this. I mean, let's just say the emperor uh, went to went to a, a special island uh, belonging to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I mean, the only Perhaps. thing I the only <clears throat> reason the only reason I have arguing against like the unfortunate implications is I'm not sure if like. This is going to sound mean, but I don't know if, like, Zahn has, like, the the complexity as a as a human being to, like, think of something as fucked up as that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's true. I think he's mainly just trying to go for... Well, we, we see... We, we get what, what he's going for. I mean, for. he's not even allowed to use the word breasts in this book, so... <laughs> right. 
Um, I think we, we, I think I think believing in some sort of sexual coercion angle to this is uh, reading too much into it. I think you're right. I think you're right. What what I think what Zod is trying to get at, and what this all sets up, is that uh, Leia suggests that you know perhaps she had such a visceral reaction to this kidnapping attempt because she remembers what happened to her. Uh, but Mara is like, nah, it's mumbo jumbo. She doesn't, you know, nah, 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 nah. Um, but then Leia, kind of as she's leaving, kind of mentions in passing the the fighting clones, how they're trying to still track down where they came from. And Mara is really dismayed and surprised. She she's the first this is the first she's heard of the clones because of course she was in a coma, having her brain reconstructed for the last month. And by the time she woke up, it was old news. No one was talking about the clones all the time. But it does bring flashing into consciousness some memories of a vast chamber of cloning tanks. And Mara, uh, rather, uh, Mara kind of uh, portentously says, I think I know where Thrawn's Sparty cylinders are. And that's what gives Leia the shock and surprise that Luke feels down the hallway. Um, Mara kind of goes on to explain that there was the, you know, the Mount, she doesn't know the name of it, but she knows there was a storehouse, a private storehouse on a, but beneath the mountain on a world he called Wayland. I don't even know if it has an official name. It was where he kept Which, all of his. Pro- are you telling me that Wayland's a goddamn nickname? This Come entire on. time, Wayland is like a code name. <laughs> Far away town. But she, but she, she mentions that this beneath this mountain, this storehouse, that one of the artificial caverns held a complete cloning facility he'd appropriated from one of the clone masters. Uh, and Leia kind of presses her on this, but uh, she says, like, oh, it was like a sports arena. At least 20,000 cylinders, maybe more. Yeah, it was right um, next to the Emperor's uh, collection of Funko Pops and his uh, complete collection of Christopher Nolan DVDs. <laughs> His his precious his precious treasures. Um, He's trying to impress a girl. I mean, you show off your clothing facilities when you're trying to impress a girl. Exactly, a literal girl that you've stolen from her parents. Um, and let's not <laughs> dwell on what age that may have been, or if yeah, there's yeah, any we'll, level uh, of consent or not. We'll move on ahead a little bit, but Mara kind of with with divulging this information, Mara kind of reckons with herself that well, now she's really done it. Uh, the lot was cast, and she had now irrevocably put herself on the side of the New Republic, on the side of Luke Skywalker, the man she had to kill. As, you know, remember that, everybody? We're throwing that in one more time. When are we going to get to the killing Luke Skywalker factory? <laughs> I am crying and pounding the floor. Ugh, just kill him already. Uh, but the lunchbox guys hold a uh, council of war, as uh, Timothy Zahn puts it, in, in Leia's office later that night. Uh, the one place they knew for certain that Delta Source had not gotten access to yet. Uh, who all's in there? We have Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, Lando, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Winter. Yes, trustworthy Winter. Hmm. Well, someone's got to anyway. take care of those brats. That's right. <laughs> well, Leia fills everyone in on uh, what Mara could tell her about the storehouse and how Wayland was a code name, and that Mara could probably work it out if they got their hands on some charts and a nav computer. And in a line that I thought was pretty odd, uh, 
Uh, Mara said it was the Emperor's storehouse, Leia said. I got the impression that it was sort of a combination trophy room and equipment dump. A private rat's nest, Han said. Sounds like him. D- does it? <laughs> what? Han has what? another good one. Han has another good line where he says, Thrawn's already tried to get you and that Kabaoth character together. That could be another trap. I love the fact that he calls it that Kabaoth character. That Kabaoth character. That, that is a good... That, that's such, an actual... He's such, he's, such a, he's such a character. He's a... He's a real hoot. Um, but I just thought that was so funny. Like, what... <laughs> What in the Emperor's conduct would would make you think like, oh yeah, I bet that guy has a private rat's nest. That's the, exactly the kind of guy who has that. It's just an odd thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't actually know much about the Emperor's personality. Right. Like, what did, what has Han seen that makes him think like, oh yeah, private rat's nest, one of those guys. All right, um... Well, Han and Lando are uh, suspicious about how useful this info can be and whether this all might be a trap. Um, but Luke and Leia both assure him that as far as Mara is concerned, she's genuine about this. Uh, Mon Mothma is not about to let Mara J go out on a secret mission. So everyone concludes that their only chance is to spring Mara Jade. Uh, Han insists that he go on the Wayland mission along with Luke and Mara. Because, of course, you know, you got to chaperone those two. And Lando throws in as well, seeing as apparently he's got nothing but time on his hands until his petition for help with Nomad City goes through. Is this still the ticking time bomb on like the 20 days until it gets vaporized with Nomad City? Because it seems I, like... I, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, Chewie objects to uh, one of the persons he has a life debt to going off on this mission, while the others remain at Coruscant. You know, he's, they're, they're, they're dividing his loyalties. But Leia has an idea. And Zahn does this annoying bullcrap where it cuts from Leia saying, I have an idea, to later on, everyone's murmuring and sussering about the idea. And, no, and does not tell us what it is. Uh, but everyone's sort of concurring, well, it's crazy, but it might be crazy enough to work, kind of stuff. Hey, you ever um, wonder how much cooler our lives would be if we had Wookiee life debts? If I had, like, a a big hairy dude by my side? I would be so no, I'm much saying more like, annoying. I'm saying, like, you, you know, like, if you, if you push someone out of the way of a moving car, they are in your debt forever. Oh, right, if we had that social convention. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I would have too many life debts to honor properly. Yeah, you would just get you would just get uh, <laughs> uh you would just get fucking hit by life debt after life debt after life debt. And you just had And you would you would absolutely not uh follow through with any of them and then you would just feel bad about it and then you'd then you'd be like, "No, no, it's okay because I feel bad about it." Yeah, but that doesn't really help, Daniel. <laughs> but no, no, you, you don't see, you don't get it. I feel really, really bad inside. I feel bad. I mean, that's really the whole Daniel playbook. He does something wrong, he knows it's wrong, and then he feels bad about it, and that's supposed to make it okay. Yeah, anyway. That's a, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so. <laughs> enough, enough that, about that's me a, and my That's a, this week's uh, Daniel's Flaws uh, segment of the <laughs> podcast. I mean, we haven't had a Daniel's Follies in, uh, what, ooh, four weeks, three weeks? So, you know. There's always another one uh, coming around the corner. Rest assured, everyone, I will disappoint you. 
<laughs> so we, we, we round out with uh, Leia kind of saying, we've got a mission to plan. Let's get to it. There are a couple uh, so gonna... uh, things I want to highlight in Chapter 11 before we move on. Yeah, uh, There's a nice Han line where, uh, that's not what I meant, Leia said, her voice pained. You're talking about a highly legal action bordering on treason. Han patted her knee. The whole rebellion was a highly legal action bordering on treason, sweetheart. He reminded her, when the rules don't work, you break them. And then, I, I thought that was just like a, a, a good uh, capturing of, of uh, Han Solo's voice. Yeah. Anyway... The other, the other thing I have is, uh, Luke looked at Leia. Her eyes were haunted with fear for her husband's safety, but in her sense, he could find only a reluctant acceptance of Han's decision. She understood the critical importance of this mission. She was far too experienced a warrior not to recognize that Han's offer made sense. Or perhaps like Han, she didn't want Luke going off alone with the woman who wanted to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that final line is just funny. Well, or maybe... <laughs> Maybe Luke going off alone with this lady who keeps saying, I'm going to kill you, might not be the best idea. Yes. Oh, that Luke's oh. always getting into something. And again, you know, we, hey, we, we've discussed before the remarkable similarities in Luke and Mara's relationship to my own and my wife. But, you know, I, I'm left alone with her all the time. Nobody, nobody cares if I die. <sighs> Ronnie. Some yeah, life especially. Debt, some life debt you have. <laughs> I mean, maybe you shouldn't have eaten all that cheese. <laughs> hey, you know what? You're right. Maybe Luke Skywalker does have it coming. Maybe he yeah, should he be Yeah, he probably killed. deserves it. He does probably deserve it. I deserve it for having eaten all that cheese. Uh, I has this been brought up on the show before? Or is this, no. Is this a total non sequitur? It just, it just sounds like something <laughs> Daniel would do. So, it's okay. Uh, uh, and And get in trouble for... All right. Uh, so moving on to chapter twelve, I did. Uh, Ronnie, I'm going to tell you here. I did my classic, my classic, Daniel move of uh, running out of steam and making my notes and and not really caring because so much of chapter twelve was like space battle stuff. So I did not yeah. make a lot of notes. Um, so it's going to be a little cursory for the uh, for the, the the sum up here. So I'll be leaning on you to pull out the interesting details. Um, but we return to Talon Card. As our point of view character, he's on the he, he's on the com in the uh, in the wild card. I think they're in the wild card. It doesn't uh, it doesn't say specifically. They're in a spaceship uh, coming up on the Bill Bringy system. I, I remember you, you pointed that out a couple episodes ago as an especially stupid name, and here we are. Not only is it especially stupid, but it's very important because this is a major imperial shipyard. Uh, the the, the Sluice Vaughn. We also get the stupid name of Dankin. Yes, Dankin, as one of Card's men. Dankin's voice came tiredly. We're coming up on the Bill Bringy system. Break out in about five minutes. And uh, everyone's exhausted because Card is making everyone run on double shifts uh, for the first time in years. They've gotten soft. You know, they're not on that, that tweaking smuggler lifestyle of cranking space meth and driving for 48 hours like they used to do. Uh, I love the old saying of if we had some brulalki, we could have brulalki and mean crew. If we had some min crew, and yes, it's, it's, <clears throat> I don't know what the, any of that means. Well, it's I recognize it immediately as a as a brutal butchering of an old Groucho Marx joke, uh, which went. Um, 
if we had uh, if we had some ham, we could have ham and eggs. If we had eggs, uh, so that's <laughs> that's what is being referenced. I'm this sure that's Wars what version that's that. what Groucho Marx envisioned. <laughs> that sixty years later be used in a crappy Star Wars novel. <laughs> yes, and with subbing out with uh, space words, simple concepts with Bruwalki and Menkuro. Um, but uh, it's it, so Aves and 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 Card are having a chat. Kind there's of some the more. Situation. There's some more uh, nice Aves bashing in this. There uh, is, yeah. He keeps. <laughs> it says he was a good uh, enough man, but he needed things laid out in front of him that Mara would have instantly picked up on her own. <laughs> yeah, he's really hammering on Aves. It's just really the, the loyal the loyal guy who's who's been with him since the beginning, and he's just constantly throwing him under the bus in his brain. We got to we got some more stupid names at, at twelve o'clock with. Balig, Lacton, and Corvus. Yeah. They're more of uh, Card's men. They are. You know, Corvus is the Latin for crow. So, you know. So, he's a, he's a birdman? He's Brandon Lee. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, but so, so uh, yeah, they, they come in. They're, they're manning the turbo lasers. This is all due to... Uh, Parta uh, sent word from Mazik that said you might want to come by Bill Bringy after our rendezvous with the others at Chazwa. I'm I'm gonna be honest. This is just names <laughs> at this point. I don't know what any of these things. When when there are more made up words in your sense than there are real words, you've got a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aves Aves recalls that uh, he and Elor were talking about an eye catching lesson for the Empire. And, uh, but they, oh really? On, on Trogan, perhaps? On on Trogan, um, but their card is card is like now we're we're here to you know we're we're doing some regular old sneaky stuff smuggling. We're an incoming freighter with an authorized delivery schedule, and Dankin is going to play the role of the the captain, right? So they you know they're 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 approaching. They get hailed by traffic control, Bill Bringy control, uh, and Dankin. Dankin Dankin's fake name is pretty good. He's Captain yeah. Abel Quiller. That's a pretty good stupid name. It's uh, better than some of the real fake names in this book. Why can't somebody <laughs> be named Abel Quiller? That's a perfectly yeah. fine fake name. No, we got we need more Dankins and Corvuses. Yeah, but the uh, Bill Bringy Control asked him to stand by for confirmation, and then uh, the battle station that they're nearby launched an assault shuttle in, in, uh, in their direction. The Wild Card's direction, so thank you. We finally know that this is the Wild Card. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, Aves thinks to expect trouble, but Carter's just like, nah, play it all cool. This is where the hab camber. We've done this a million times, you know, just whatever. We're here to observe what's going to happen. Uh, but, uh, in the, in, while this is all going, Aves is, uh, Card asked him to get a reading on a cluster of irregular spots drifting near the center of the shipyard area. And it turns out there are you know, a bunch of little crews around them. There's about uh, a couple dozen of these things. They're asteroids. The Imperials are gathering up a bunch of asteroids at the uh, at the at the shipyards. Fascinating. Wonder what's going on with that. Um, they also note that there's a a mostly completed star destroyer in the dry docks. There uh, just has the command tower and sections of the four bastion left to be added to it. But they spot some kind of activity happening around it, and just and just then the starboard flank of the star destroyer blew up. 
which I'm sorry, blew up. That calls for explodes. It says this is how it actually reads. Uh, there seems to be some activity around, and and in mid sentence, the starboard flank of the star destroyer blew up. Sorry, that just does not have the the heft that you want to say blew up. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently it's sabotage in the shipyards. They blew up an almost completed star destroyer, and of course that you know throwing uh, rocks at the uh, at the hornet's nest. Uh, whole uh, squadrons of Tie Fighters scream out there, going uh, you know focusing in on the that uh, the freighter whatever the, the the freighters are escaping, whoever whoever pulled off this hit Mazix group, evidently uh, they're outnumbered and outgunned. But just then, Elor's group drops in. Yeah, and, I want uh, I wanted to quote directly. That's got to sure. be Elor's people. Ave said. Card nodded, agreed. Corellian gunships are a bit out of Mazic's style, certainly out of his budget. It's a strategy that would certainly appeal to the legendary Duro's cultural recklessness. Now, so now Card is now, doing now replace Duro's with with Albanian, <laughs> the legendary yes. Albanian cultural recklessness. Yes, again, our beloved Albanians. But now, like Card is doing, th- this is Thrawn stuff. I mean, they dress up as samurais and, and chop things, and and they <laughs> appear as Blues Brothers. Indeed, <laughs> they do. That's uh, the the you know that's what our Albanians are known for. Um, but yeah, like again, like there are these apparently like you know uh, uh, inalienable uh, alien cultural elements that you can always spot in in the way that spaceships fight. You can tell what kind of aliens are doing it. It's a common theme in these books, which is very odd. Um, now apparently those, uh, those Corellian gunships see the, uh, the Duros maintain a line of maintenance depots around the trade spine and New Republic ships often use those. So Elor probably kind of borrowed them from that for this little strike. Um, but anyway, uh, they, Card, Card decides like, you know what? No, we are not going to jump in. We're not going to start on this assault. We are playing it purely as... The innocent freighter. We're just going to observe all this because they had a plan. They're pulling it off and they're going to escape. We don't have to jump in. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it, it, it's, let's see, how, how does this wrap up? Uh, is that, is oh, that that's right. Yeah. I'm saying that uh, she needs to get Mara Jade back. Right, right, right. Yeah. It, it all comes around to, <laughs> again, he throws it. <laughs> okay. We're not going to be able to stop here. He murmured half to himself. We're going to have to organize. All of us. What? Aves asked. Card focused on him. And that open and puzzled face, clever in its own way, but neither brilliant nor intuitive. Never mind, he told the other, smiling to take any possible sting out of the words. He vowed that when this was over, he would find a way to get Mara back. Organizing? Who does, <laughs> who does talent card think he is? Uh, Bernie Garm Sanders? Hey... Well, what is this? The, the, is, was he the president of the United Space Workers? Uh, by the way, yeah. go, UA, go UAW, go fucking get him. As, uh, as of this recording, UAW is engaged in a brilliant series of uh, tactical strikes uh, against the big three. Are they the people that the make United the root States. beer? They are, yes. And they are, go, they are going to battle, man. And we wish them all the best. So, A&W, folks. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, get get them dogs, um, 
but uh, yeah, so yeah, we, we close out on this scene with Card, you know, again thinking I I gotta get my good uh, lieutenant back. Um, but then we uh, Aves we... clown. <laughs> again, this is the second time he said clever in his. He's referred to Aves as being clever in his own way. Uh, this is the second time I think touched he's really by the face of that. God. Oh yeah, I think so. But from here we jump point of view to Thrawn. Here, of course, on the bridge of the Chimera, uh, where... Well, I mean, actually, we never get Thrawn's perspective. It's always Peleon's perspective. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Peleon is the point of view character, but we, the, the, the reader, is having Thrawn's actions narrated. But you're right. That Peleon is the point of view character. Because uh, he, he exists to, to explain things, too. Right. <laughs> that's right. He's, he's the Watson. Um, but Thrawn is kind of laying into General Drost, who was the officer in charge of uh, defense and security of uh, Bill Bringy, and so of course has come up short. Uh, he's really, uh, you know, he has his report. Thrawn asks if there is anything to add, and Drost says, "No, sir." And Thrawn kind of really rakes him over the coals by, "Can you offer me any reason why you should not be relieved of command?" The faintest of sighs escaped Drost's lips. No, sir, he said again. And everyone's kind of waiting for, like, oh, is he, is, is he going to go out like Chris Peterson, basically? <laughs> um, R.I.P. Chris Peterson. <laughs> R.I.P. Chris Peterson. Um, but, uh, you know, Rook is ready, ready to go there. He's ready to pounce and strangle a guy. But Thrawn instead says, hey, return to your quarters. You have, well, I'll be leaving in 30 hours. You have until then to design and implement a new security system for the shipyards. And at that point... I'll make my decision about your future. So he chastened Drost, uh, kind of, you know, tail between his legs, uh, is dismissed and uh, goes off to uh, try to, you know, win Thrawn's, uh, win, win Thrawn's trust back there. Pleon is, of course... That, oh, true please. to your point that, uh, that Thrawn is able to divine, like, a, a alien races through attack patterns. He says that it was the smugglers because uh, uh, the method and execution here were quite different from the usual rebel pattern. Mazik, I think, is the most likely suspect, although there are enough Duros elements woven into the style for Elwar's group to have also been involved. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, and it's like, like what elements? What elements are distinctive? I guess the Corellian gunships, I guess, maybe that's what he's talking about. But the, Zahn does this all the time, where he'll have these characters say, like, aha, well, as you can see here, uh, this means blah, 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 and cannot be bothered to, like, actually think of anything that might indicate that. But So he doesn't Zero's have to. people never invented color. They're like Pleasantville. <laughs> Clearly, this was the work of someone who has only seen the Donna Reed show in black and white. Uh, but it's it's here that we get some very fun stuff. Uh, because they are interrupted while they're kind of talking about all this with, uh, in all caps, Grand Admiral Thrawn! The shout roared through the bridge like a violent thunderclap, filling it from aft to forward and echoing back again. Peleon wrenched himself around, reflexively scrabbling for the blaster he wasn't wearing. It's everyone's favorite medallion-wearing homeboy, Joris Kabaoth, sorry, Jorus Kabaoth, uh, striding in, furious, that the commandos have failed. Uh, Can you imagine what he smells like? 
the the way he uh, the way he just force grabs his robe every morning. You think he ever force washes it? I don't. He must smell so bad, and and he's a clone at that. I mean, not to be prejudiced, but clones probably smell different than us normals. Yeah, they probably the pro- cats probably like arch their backs at him. Just don't like them. Yeah, they they but, probably uh, smell like peroxide or something. <laughs> yeah, something kind of chemically that just doesn't smell right. Yeah, or, or like those creepy crawler uh, little insects you would make. They always had yeah, like that smell yeah. to them. They did. That was uh, hey, that's good times. I wonder what kind of brain damage I got from <laughs> inhaling the fumes, playing with the. Well, with I don't know. Let's, let's see. You're you're a 48 year old man who's doing a Star Wars podcast about 30 year old books with a with a 35 <laughs> year old who's sitting in a basement. So it sounds like we're we're doing great, frankly. Yeah, no brain damage at all. Nope, not excellent brains. No worms, no damage. So anyway, speaking of brain worms, Kaveoth uh, is now really hammering home that everyone in the Empire is his to command. Uh, but this, I thought this was actually there was there was a fun moment where uh, let me see if I can find it. Ah, here it is. Play on Swallowed Hard, groping to find... uh, Play on Swallowed Hard, his hand groping for and finding the reassuring presence of the Isalomir nutrient frame stretched across the top of the Grand Admiral's command chair. The frame rotated away from his touch as Thrawn swiveled to face the approaching Jedi Master. I'm I'm giving Zong credit. That was a fun touch. I I like Play on kind of like fumbling for the the security of the Isalomir being there and and it twisting away from him. As Grand Admiral Thrawn turns the chair, I thought that was a fun touch. Our main villain is spending a spending the better part of a chapter arguing with an old man about whether or not he sufficiently uh, tried to steal babies well enough. <laughs> yes. After they argue about that for a little while, I mean, I mean, um, I'm just saying that's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, after after they argue about that for a little while, uh, Thrawn kind of you know is is saying like, oh well, you know you're right, Master Kabayoth. Let's go attack Coruscant. And he's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? What is this trick? Uh, and Thrawn's like, there's no trick. I have decided the lightning that a lightning thrust into the heart of the rebellion will be the best way to shake their morale and prepare them for the next stage of the campaign. This will be that thrust. So Kabayoth kind of looks out there and is wondering, you know, about the special cargo. He said, uh, are those your special cargo? And Thrawn had the excellent line, you're the Jedi Master, you tell me. <laughs> so. And then and then Kabayoth does something pretty cool, which is he tries to take control of the entire Chimera. And yeah. he's, he's, well, he succeeds at it, but then Thrawn points out that, like, you know, it's going to take you an awful lot of energy to continually be controlling everybody on this ship. There's, like, 37,000 crew members... And then you have to, like, do this over the course of, like, five days to get to Coruscant from here. Yeah. And, you know, none of this is going to work, you old man. <laughs> yeah, it's because he, he reached out to read the minds of the guys working on the asteroid project. And, of course, they're, you know, they're just following orders. They don't know much, so he kind of pieces together. He's convinced that they're, they're taking those asteroids to bombard Coruscant and destroy it. So he's, he's like, no, you can't destroy Coruscant until I get my Jedi. And then, yeah, that's where he... Uh, I'll read the passage, actually, because it's... You know what? I'm handing it to Zahn. This was a pretty cool passage. 
Uh, Peleon frowned at him, and as he was just considering asking Kabaoth what he was talking about when he happened to glance down into the portside crew pit. The crewers were sitting stiffly in their chairs, their backs parade ground straight, their hands folded in their laps, their eyes staring blankly through their consoles. Behind them, the officers were equally stiff, equally motionless, equally oblivious. The starboard crew pit was the same as the aft bridge, and on the consoles, on all the consoles Peleon could see, which should have been active with incoming reports from other sectors of the ship, the displays had all gone static. Uh, so that was pretty cool, I, I, I have to admit. But you're right. Thrawn kind of throws cold water on that by being like, hey, you know, you, you, you don't have it in you, old man, to actually pull this off. Like, you know, nice parlor trick, but, uh, you know, you're just going to have to deal with this. Um, and so Thrawn, of course, or rather, uh, Kabaoth is, of course, you know, furious, but now a little, a little chastened. You know, he's been, he's been chastised. Uh, but the, <clears throat> I thought kind of the aftermath of this was interesting too. Plan looked down, you know, this, you know, Kabayoth has, has marched off. Plan looked down at the portside crew pit. Here and there, one could see a crewer sitting properly at his station or an officer standing more or less vertically. But for the most part, the crewers were collapsed limply in their seats. Their officers leaning against walls and consoles are lying trembling on the deck. And I like it when dark side stuff is weird and creepy and bad. Uh, so that was, that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. And on that note, thus ends our recap of chapters 10, 11, and 12 of The Last Command. I mean, it had some ups and downs, had some names, had a zebra man. <laughs> it did. It had, we discovered that it had zebra man. Um, Mara got to say, I'm going to kill Luke a few times. We always love seeing that. Some really good Kabaoth moments. That that's uh, Travis put his... Uh, Put his feet on the table. Dravis was back, our buddy Dravis. Um, we, we got to we got to sort of hear Card's internal monologue about how terrible Aves is as a second in command. So all, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give the section three out of five stars. Our our maximum prize we can give <laughs> to a Thrawn trilogy. My, my proposed uh, title chapters. for this episode is the name game. The name game. That's pretty good. As as I'm editing. If I can't find anything better to pull out, we'll go with the name game. Because I mean, I, uh, I think uh, this this was like peak name. This was a lot of names thrown at you at once. <laughs> That's true. A lot, <laughs> a lot of them were garbage. Well, and and you're right that uh, we had sentences that were mostly stupid names, which. That's playing which with is, fire. Which is always, <laughs> you never want to be in that situation when you're a sci-fi writer. When you don't the majority of the words in your sentence are made up. Yeah, that's you. You've you've gotten out over your skis when you're doing that. Because um, then it's like then you just sort of gotta wonder what you're doing with your life. <laughs> hey, you're counting those fat stacks in Tampa is what Timothy Zahn's doing with his life. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll find out when we when we make fanboys too, and we break into uh, to Timothy Zahn's Thrawn, studio Thrawn apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy Zahn's Timothy Zahn's modest uh, uh, townhouse in uh, there in Tampa. <laughs> but until such time, until we until we actually get to meet the man himself, which I am going on record right now saying that's going to be the the series finale is when we meet Timothy Zahn and uh, ask him what the hell he was thinking. Um, until then, we'll, well, we'll have to practice for when we finally encounter 
a mind as powerful as Timothy Zahn's. For when we have the temerity to think we can tell him a thing or two, we're going to have to get pretty good about talking about a thing or two. And in order to further that personal intellectual development, Ronnie and I have a little game we like to play with every episode called Into the Thronderdome, where he and I pit ourselves mentally against one another in the noblest arena of combat that has ever existed, debate. And for today's debate segment, Ronnie, you have a very special one for us. Uh, so what, what, what are we talking about tonight on our Into the Thronderdome debate segment as we prepare for our confrontation with Timothy Zahn? Uh, we are discussing megafauna. 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 Yeah, a term that technically applies to pretty much every animal you can think of, because I think, like, the, the ecological definition of megafauna is, like, anything that's bigger than, like, a lizard or some shit. But in, in, most, in most usage, it's talking about the, the, compared to today's animals, really large animals of kind of the last ice age and, and its immediate aftermath. The the what what we might call the uh, what the uh, what Pleistocene megafauna, um, your your woolly mammoths, your uh, your dire wolves, your uh, your glyptodonts, and uh, so yeah, so I guess it's it's yay or nay on megafauna. Is that right? Yes, uh, and I will be taking the pro position. I know your, your <laughs> wigs are. Are spinning off your head. That's that's true, and I and I will say this is this is one of the ones that we are arguing uh, from our hearts about. Uh, and yeah, don't let them. Uh, Daniel, you might be saying to yourself, I thought you were the one who was interested in uh, in ancient animal life and and extinct animals and and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm interested, but you know, you can be you can be interested in. Uh, you can, you, can, you can be interested in the British well, Empire see, it, it and turns not think it's a good thing. It turns out that megafauna aren't actually that boring, so thus they can't <laughs> be enjoyed by Daniel. And that's a good way to start off. Ronnie, how about you start us off with your pro argument about megafauna? Well, I used to be a skeptic about megafauna. I thought, for one thing, they didn't exist and the, their bones were just placed here by Satan to trick us and uh, turn us against God. But I went to a, an exhibit at the Milwaukee County Zoo about the Ice Age, and they had animatronic versions of uh, megafauna that that include like a giant beaver, uh, a, a woolly mammoth, a mastodon, saber-toothed cat. Um, let's see, there was also a a bunch of giant birds. Um. And, you know, it, it comes back to, like, what's what's better than normal-sized things? It's things that are oversized or undersized. And, you know, megafauna is oversized animals. I mean, you, you, love, you, love a, uh, you love a chipmunk, right? Well, what if the chipmunk was the size of a car? Wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, I, uh... Well, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let you sucker me in this early. No, continue. Um, and I found that they were like pretty cool because they're like, you know, they're a lot like animals we do have today, but they're bigger. So it it like it makes you think that like you're in a you're a honey I shrunk the kids uh, type situation where 
you know, there's a vulture the size of a size of a small plane or something like that, and you you have to like run away from it, like in <laughs> like in that film series, <laughs> The Fugitive. Well, that's not a series. No, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, all right. You know what? You know what? Here we go. You just gave me the rope I'll use to hang you, Ronald. Uh, because you're talking about, ooh, what, what, what's better than a regular animal? A giant animal? Listen to yourself. We already have a hard enough time managing today's modern super animals, such as the flying squirrel and the electric eel. Can you imagine having to deal with the giant beavers? I mean, my God. Sounds like a good problem to have. (laughs) I mean, just just think of all the amazing beaver musk you could get out of those anal glands. Um, No, think about about it. You're you're trying to go to work and it's like, well, sorry, I can't go to work. There's a fucking beaver in the way of the street. Well, it'll be even worse than that. How about you're going to work? How about you're driving to work in uh, you're driving to work in your nice uh, kind of modest car? You know, we'll say you're driving a uh, oh what a Mazda three sedan, and uh, you're trying to go to work. You know, if if you live in the southeast or uh, you know parts of the southwest, it's you know it's a common sight to see uh, an armadillo on the side of the road. You know, they 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 tend to get run over. I don't know why they just they just tend to. What if that armadillo was the size of your own freaking car? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a glyptodont. Okay, man? These were these were like armadillos. Well, maybe you wouldn't run it over then. Well, you just crash into it, because I'm assuming that they will have the same habits as their as their small brethren. They'll be trying to cross the road all the time. You'll have um Oh, 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 and and you know you know what I want to have to deal with? You know, it's bad enough with chipmunks digging up my yard. You know they have these sloths? They had these sloths that like lived on the ground and were the size of bears, and they made burrows. They found these burrows that these uh, that these friggin' sloths have made. I don't want that digging up my yard. I don't. I don't want that getting into my begonias. What are you I'll crazy? Look at you with your petite bourgeoisie issues. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's a reason why our noble ancestors slaughtered every single one of these amazing, beautiful animals. And it's because, one, that's a whole lot of meat that can feed a lot of people. Two, we were about to invent agriculture, you know, in, the, in you know, a couple thousand years. And I don't need some, I, I tell you what I, what I don't need is some fucking Gastornis, the, the, the giant uh, terror bird, uh, going through and, you know, eating all my zucchinis that I was planning on uh, making zucchini jelly out of. That's just terrible. Uh, how, how about this then? The 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 megafauna world is if what if the entire world was Australia? <laughs> Australia known for its large creatures and and untamed wilderness, dangerous creatures. Yes. Well, you Imagine know, I'm glad that you... was the entire world was Australia. I'm glad you br- I'm glad you bring this up because do you know what existed during the megafauna era in Australia? A little a little animal, a little <laughs> No, I'm talking about a, a, a little animal, Varanus melania. Uh this was a monitor lizard which was uh so today the largest monitor lizard is the Komodo dragon. It's the largest lizard on the planet. One of the largest reptiles on the planet. 
the Melania w- was, or sorry, Megalania, not Melania. That's the former first lady. The Megalania was uh, about ten times as large as that in terms of mass. And when we're talking a thing that was like twenty feet long, a lizard twenty feet long, you know, as heavy as a as a as a couple of bears, pound you know, just pounding around Australia, gobbling up God knows what. And you want that? You want that for for our schools? I mean, I'll, I'll tell the, you the what, recklessness. You, you you give that you give that megalalian a a, a, <laughs> a pair of sensible slacks and a and a jacket, and you got a smuggler character for this uh, Star Wars novel. <laughs> that's that's you a give good him point. some name like uh, Glip, and uh, there <laughs> and, you go. And buddy, you're going to town. Um, all right. Well, how, how about this? You love you love a megafauna so much. Uh, how about the largest deer that's ever existed, the Irish elk? Surely you have something negative to say about an Irish elk, don't you? Well, why is it called El- I- Irish elk? Is it drunk or something? <laughs> I think that's where its fossils were first found. It actually ranged over all of Europe, but they they call it the Irish elk. Uh, this this guy this guy was a a, a deer that was uh, stood taller than a moose at the shoulder. And had this rack of antlers that could be like ten feet across. Uh, just Have you ever seen those unit. like videos of, of like a moose uh, like walking across like a, a highway or something? Those yeah. things are huge. Yeah, you, know, you, you know what you could do is you could put a, a bandolier on one of those. Get yourself a get yourself a smuggler character. Maybe that's how that's how <laughs> Zeron is creating smugglers. He just He's went like, to the zoo. <laughs> Like, he hey, ran, this he ran out of friends. Make, this zebra could make a pretty good smuggler. Yeah, he ran out of uh, friends he knows from from Necronomicon, and so he went to the Tampa Zoo, and that's, that's where he got all of our smugglers. <laughs> all right, well, uh, we've we've gone several rounds here. I I don't know if we're going to resolve the question of megafauna, yay or nay, tonight. But as always, we leave it uh, to our listeners to truly decide where the truth lies. Um, personally, I am thankful that I do not have to contend with, uh, vultures the size of small airplanes. Um, I think our ancestor did the wise and correct thing by murdering every elephant, beautiful elephant they could find. Uh, but Ronnie seems See, to you think just hate, that, you just you know, hate woolly mammoths cause they got hair and you don't. <laughs> Hey, I'm also glad that the mastodons were uh, were wiped out too. They didn't have hair; they were more like regular elephants. So there you go, buddy. You know, chew on that. Uh, but anyway, how about you? How about how about you go back to your tar pit you love so much, megafauna lover? I will. All right. Well, Ronnie's going to head back to the tar pit, and I'm going to smugly look at all the tiny animals around me, and uh, we'll we'll leave y'all in the audience to figure out how you feel about megafauna. Uh, and you can let us know. Email the show at uh, thronderdomepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also let us know what a good job we're doing, uh, how much you appreciate it, how really sorely lacking uh, this kind of content was until we started the show almost a year ago. I'm just ago. imagining Daniel getting overwhelmed by his cats that are now the size of, like, panthers. <laughs> you know, we used to have cheetahs. Here in America, too. Or rather, they're called the American Cheetah. They aren't directly related to cheetahs, but they were big cats that had the same, like, high-speed uh, chase adaptations. And the theory is that they were going after pronghorns. 
And that's why pronghorns are so fast. They're the fastest hoofed animals on the planet. They were in this arms race with the American cheetah, which now no longer exists, but they're still pronghorns. So they can still outrun anything trying to eat them by like a factor of 10. It's incredible. Anyway, I hate them. And (laughs) we're not going to talk about megafauna anymore. It's time to go. Uh, Good night, Ronnie. And good night. I think we're going to talk about megafauna every time now. Good night.